Well, good morning. If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. I hope you're all set at home today. If, if, uh, if you haven't noticed, just a couple of things, and I'm going to pray for us. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. We're going to finish that up on Easter Sunday next week. You should be, if you haven't been able to or you didn't know, you can get uh, a more extensive notes on our online on, uh, on our website, you, you should see some more abbreviated notes on your screen uh, as we go through this morning. And so let's pray for our time together, and then we'll look at God's Word. Lord, we've, we've gathered, even though we're scattered this morning, we have gathered in spirit around your truth. We are not tuning in over the internet to hear any man's opinion, but to hear from your word. And so, Lord, I pray for us today as I pray for uh, the internet, uh, for Facebook even right now, Lord, that you would sustain it. And though many churches are using it and other means to broadcast God's word, I pray that you would make the word clear over the internet right now, Lord, not only for this message, but for all the messages that are going out all over your world, Lord, that the truth would be proclaimed and be heard and be heeded and be trusted in and be enjoyed, Lord, even now in a time of great trial for, for our country and this world. We have a great hope today. So, Lord, I pray for, that for some people for the first time that you would help them see what you have accomplished for us through your son's resurrection. What we have waiting for us is beyond words today, and yet we're going to try to use words. And so, Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to 49 today. And so let's just read it. We're going to read the whole thing today, beginning at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory." So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, 
a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is God's word, brothers and sisters. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has been making an argument. A gospel argument for the resurrection of the body. He's not speaking necessarily of Christ's resurrection here. He's using it as part of his argument. He's talking about yours and mine. And in verse 1 to 11, he says the gospel itself, what we have called, we've been talking about that the last few weeks, the faith is secured, is trusted in by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has made his argument that's not true. Nothing else matters. Verses 12 to 34, he's made the argument God's people will be bodily resurrected because Christ was resurrected bodily. But there are some in the midst of the church that has begun to ask some questions. We're going to talk about the nature of these questions in just a second. But the questions are basically, well, what is this body going to look like? What kind of body is it? And so Paul goes from facts and evidence of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, proving the resurrection of us. And now he talks about the nature of that resurrected body. And this is important. To understand the future, we often have to go back to the beginning. To understand what the new creation is going to be like, we can understand it better sometimes to go back to creation and think. And that's what Paul's doing. That's his argumentation. That's the way he's going to do today. And so we need to have the first creation in our mind as we go through. If you've ever watched Jeopardy, it's not particularly my show, but some people enjoy it. You know, they give you the answers to the question. The main idea is the answer to the questions today. Christians who die prior to the coming of Christ will be raised with imperishable bodies when he comes. So what's the questions? Well, we see here, look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body... And with what kind of body do they come? So let's just take the two questions. Those are our two main points. How are the dead raised? So the question for the question is, is this a foolish question or is it an honest one? In context today, it is not the question. It is the heart of the question that is foolish. You would say, well, if people are asking a foolish question... Why does Paul even answer it? The question is, it is affecting the church. That's why he's answering this question. And he spent so much time on it today. It's foolish in the sense that it denies God's power, God's will, and God's economy. Psalms 14.1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And so... This is a disingenuous question that he is going to answer. This Greek, remember we've been talking about that, this Greek, Greco-Roman culture. 
has, has infiltrated the church. It has began for people to think that the soul is good, the body is bad, it is less than, it is even in some senses by some people disgusting. And so they deny a bodily resurrection. And he called them foolish. The reason they're asking this question is not because they care about the answer, but because they don't believe it. And so, how do we answer the question? How does Paul answer it? How are the dead raised? We see first, it's by transformation, not reanimation. Verse 36 says, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, show my age here. I could use the frozen movies or something, but that's just not in my head. What does it mean, the difference between transformation and reanimation? Well, if you're... Old as me, you used to watch a cartoon where there was a, a roadrunner and a coyote. And that coyote always chased the roadrunner. He never caught him. And every once in a while, he'd run completely off of a cliff. And so the coyote's chasing the roadrunner. He moves out of the way. He runs off this cliff. He, gets, he runs literally out into the air until he realizes there's no more ground. He falls a thousand feet he hits the ground, a boulder somehow comes loose while he's falling, and it not only hits the ground flat, a boulder hits him, he flattens out, and he slides out from underneath the rock, flat as a pancake, and then somehow he reanimates. Okay, so you get this picture, make whatever cartoon you want to, that's, called a, that's a reanimation. That's not what the resurrected body's going to be. That's what he's describing. How is it going to be? It's not going to be as if... Dead corpses reanimate. They re-energize. That's not the resurrection of the dead. Inside of, of not too many years, everybody, that's put, everybody that is put in the ground is turned back to dust. He's saying the resurrection of the body is a transformation of these perishable bodies, not a reanimation of them. This is important to understand. And so he gives us Three analogies to try to help us understand it in going back into creation to use those analogies. You're going to see some slides at the end of the sermon that's going to encourage you to go out and take part in creation to begin to understand some of what our future is. The first analogy is that of a seed. This follows the whole, this whole section. It is his main analogy. The purpose of the seed is not to... Teach some scientific truth for those of you who are concrete thinkers. And you're looking at this text saying, well, a seed doesn't really die, it germinates. That's not his point. His point of the seed analogy is to illustrate transformation. It is a part of creation that's helping us to understand this. So, look at verses 36 and 37 again. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Now, to even get a clear picture of what he's saying, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to start John next, after we get through with 1 Corinthians. So this text was on my mind. John 12, verse 24. Look at that with me. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so imagine with me, this is sort of his illustration, gardening. If you're 
you've probably, if you're going to have a garden, you've probably already broken up that ground and, and tilled it and getting ready to do some planting. Gardening is like a bunch of little funerals. You bury the seeds into the ground by faith that there is a transformation going to happen. That which comes out of the ground does not look like that which went into the ground. That's the purpose of his illustration. To show transformation. Before a tree can be a tree, it is a seed that must be planted in the ground. So remember the question. How are the dead raised? They are raised not only by transformation, but by God's power and His sovereignty. This is His overarching answer to the question. And remember, this is part of the problem He's getting to with the heart of the question. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as He has chosen. To each kind of seed its own body. Now He's entered in another word here that's important for His flow of thought. Not the seed being the different expressions that's going to come out having a body. He's attaching that to our resurrected body. So a seed, when it comes out, has a particular look when it goes into the ground, but it looks completely different when it comes up. And not all seeds bear the same type of body. That's his point. He, he says there is a great variety of plants that emerge from seeds, and all of them look different. And they look different because God has sovereign and power in choosing what they look like. He said, so it is with us and our resurrected body. It's not only a seed analogy. He also uses animals and even the cosmos itself. Look at verse 39 to 41. For not all flesh is the same, but there are one kind for humans and another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. The bodies, that's what, that's what he brings into, the bodies of us is different than the bodies of animals. The bodies of animal, an animal is different from the body of a bird. Even in the animal kingdom, birds' are, bodies are different from, than, than fish. So what's the point? Well, see, using all of these animals and seeds, Psalms 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And so he wants you to just stop and think about the people who are doubting the resurrection of the body. Just stop and think about the variety and the diversity of not only us as humans, but of the created order that we are created and fine-tuned for our existence on earth. That is critical to his argument that he's going to unfold. We are designed... As humans, animals are designed, giving a body for life on earth. So how are the dead raised? By transformation, not reanimation. They are transformed for a heavenly existence. God fits them. That's the word that's made the the biggest impact on me this week. We are fit for glory. We are fit for a future So what kind of bodies will these look like? We're going to be transformed, okay? That's the nature of this new body. It's transformed by God's power and sovereignty and according to His will. But but somebody would ask Paul, but yeah, but what's it going to look like? What is this body of ours going to be? That's the question. The The essence of his answer is transformation, but he wants to be as clear as possible 
he uses four times this picture of something being sown and raised. So he gives us four distinctions and five contrasts. You could actually say there's nine different things here he wants us to understand. So let's look at the four distinctions first. He, he's using this seed analogy through this whole thing. Look at verses 42 to start with. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. And so we see with the first distinction here that our new bodies are going to go, are now, our bodies now, our mortal bodies are perishable, but our new bodies, our resurrected bodies, will be imperishable. They'll be fitted with the imperishable. Now, to even help you be more, even more clear with this, think about the difference between the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus. What's the difference between these two resurrections? These two, one was raised from the dead, but he was still Lazarus. He still had his earthly body. In other words, Lazarus one day died. He still had a perishable body. But with Jesus, he was raised imperishable. Jesus was not only God, he was also man. His body was a human body. He was raised Imperishable. This word imperishable is connected with eternal life. Second Timothy verse one, uh, chapter one and verse ten. Uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about the gospel, and he says the gospel in verse ten has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So through the person and work of Christ and His resurrection, now we have through the resurrection a promise from perishable to imperishable. Number two, from verse 43, from dishonored to glory. It says, it is sown, verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Now he's not undermining his whole argument. So, if he was saying that your body is dishonorable, he would be undermining. He would be going along with what the Greco-Romans believe. The Greek philosophy, our body is less than. That's not his point. His point is not that the body is intrinsically evil. It is, it is now, because of the fall, corruptible. It is characterized not only in the accessible to perish but the ability to be corrupted if you remember the difference first peter we looked at that when we talked about depression first peter 1 4 talks about our inheritance that is imperishable undefiled unfading and kept for us that's what he's getting at here that our bodies now are corruptible but then they'll be fitted for glory Look at number three. It's in verse 43 too. Our bodies now are characterized. You can see how these are connected by weakness. But then it'll be filled with power. Your body now is weak. We are, we are keenly aware of that right now, aren't we? We are staying at home. Why are you at home today? Because your body is prone to be corrupted and is weak. That's what he's saying today. 
to this, that that's your reality now, and it's true because of the fall. It is true because of sin. Humans were created and received power and honor to exercise dominion over this creation, and we wanted to be God rather than to serve God, and sin came into the world. Now our bodies are plagued with illness and sickness, injuries and tiredness, just, and even the ability to get something is our reality now. But then our bodies will be characterized by the imperishable, by, by glory, by power. Look at number 4, verse 44. Go back up here, let's read it. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Here's his logic. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now again, you've got to get in the mind of Paul and his language here. He's not saying that your spiritual resurrected body is immaterial. There again, if he would be, he would be undermining his whole argument. He's saying... That this body is a new body, a transformed body that is a spiritual body. Your body is characterized by natural now, but then it'll be characterized by, the, by this spiritual nature. There again, that's not immaterial. It is a spirit-filled body. We are regenerated now as believers. The Holy Spirit lives in our very nature, but our bodies are still sinful our problem, we talked about that last week with depression. Depression is an issue of the mind. We have oftentimes a mind problem, a will problem, our, an emotional problem. Our resurrected body will not have those problems. It will be characterized by the Holy Spirit that has made alive not only our very natures, but our actual bodies. They will be spiritual. You will be spiritual from your head to your toe. Just as Jesus' resurrected body. You will be imperishable. You will be fitted for glory. You will be filled with power. You will be made fully alive in the Holy Spirit forever. This is the very nature of this resurrected body. That is made sure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a thing to think about on Palm Sunday. But he's not done. He's got five more things he wants you to see here. And what he's doing here is bringing up what he's already brought up in a previous argument. That is Adam, the first Adam, and Christ, the second Adam. Adam, the Adam that fell in sin. The second Adam is the better Adam. That's Christ who lived a life with no sin. He makes these contrasts from verses 44 to 49. Look at verse 45. He says, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So when he says, thus it is written, what is he quoting? He's quoting Genesis 2-7, he's referring to it. Let me just read it for you. Genesis 2 verse 7 says this, and keep these words in mind because he's pulling from these words in his, the rest of his contrast here. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground. And breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, the man became a living creature. 
And so this next section, you've, what you need to do is make sure you don't go back to the incarnation. He's, he's exercising an argument from the resurrection of Christ, proving our resurrection. So here, he's not talking about his incarnation, but his resurrection. He's saying when the first Adam gave us life, he was a living being. The second Adam, because of his resurrection, became a life-giving spirit. He gives us this spiritual life of which he has already told us about. But not only that, look at verse 46. But if not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The natural body comes first. Adam had a natural body, and we that came from Adam and Eve have a natural body. So that was first, but that's not the end of it. Pastor Micah just got through reminding us of that. It's not the end. This is not it for us. The natural comes first and then the spiritual. Christ's resurrection, His bodily resurrection in spirit as a spiritual body guarantees us that a spiritual body is to come when Christ returns. Look at number 3 here. Verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Now he's still going back to creation, going to Genesis 2, reminding us that Adam was created from the dust of the earth. But Christ is from heaven. You see the lesser to the greater. He's not demeaning Adam. He's simply telling us the nature of our resurrected bodies is going to be transformed from a man of dust to a person from heaven because of Christ. Look at number 4, verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. It's not just your body that you inherited from Adam. It's also your very nature. When Adam fell, we all fell in Adam. We inherited a a nature that was earthly, that was fallen. We follow our father Adam and our mother Eve. But there was something better who came. Christ. Now, because we have been born again, we are of the one who is from heaven. We are now... Men and women of heaven. He's not talking about the location of Christ right now. He's talking about His very nature. That because Christ has redeemed us, we have a nature of Christ. And one day we will experience that in fullness. Paul concludes in verse 49. He points us towards even our application. Verse 49 says this, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now there again, he's not speaking of the incarnation. He is referring to the resurrection. We bear the likeness of Adam now. We do. In in every way. But when Christ returns... We will bear the likeness of Jesus Christ in His fullness. 
And so we are becoming like Christ in our actual life now. The promise is when Christ returns, body and soul, body, mind, will, emotions, and our very nature will be conformed perfectly to the image of Jesus Christ. Paul is referring even to this now and not yet reality in Ephesians chapter 2. I know you all love that passage. Everybody loves Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 4. Let me just read it for you. It says this. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What we have been given is ours. This is our inheritance that Peter talked about. It is a body that is made perfect for heaven. This is his point, you see. Just as now we are fitted for life on earth, so because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will be fitted perfectly to enjoy and worship God forever then. This is a promise. This promise has an implication for us today. Right where you are in your homes. Philippians 3 verse 20. Philippians 3 verse 20. There's an obvious implication for this reality. And all of Christendom throughout history has understood it. Look at verse 20, Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, here's the promise. Remember the promises that we are supposed to meditate on. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This is our guarantee, brothers and sisters. We, do, we are not citizens of this country. Not in spirit and in truth. This has an implication for how we live. So, what today? As a pandemic has affected way more than a million people worldwide, some a quarter million people have been infected with it here in the States. It's no better time to understand what Paul gets to in verse 49. The time to prepare for the future is today. It is today. This is how Paul concludes his argument. Since we will be like Christ then, the time to become like Christ and to seek to be like Him is not just tomorrow. It is today. Turn with me to 2 Peter. Another chapter I, I love as a Christian. This was written to comfort believers. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look with me at verse 10. The whole context of this is the day of the Lord. What's it going to look like when, when the Lord returns? Listen to this, this just mind-blowing truth that Peter gives us. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What we have promised for the future affects how we prepare today. We are told that maybe a hundred to two hundred and forty thousand some people may die around us. So I ask you this morning, how important is the American dream right now? How important is it? How important is your car, your career, your new boat, your house? How important is it today? When we realize it can be gone, we could be gone. The people we love could be gone tomorrow. God has given us a gift of clarity right now. How are we going to use it? Here's what we don't need to concern ourselves about today. I hope the text has been absolutely clear. You don't have to worry about that old body, what it's going to be like in the next days. You see, God's got that one covered for you. No matter what's happened to those that have preceded us, we have been given a promise that both they and we will be transformed into a body fit for glory, fit for heaven, fit for our existence. And we need not worry ourselves about it. That, brothers and sisters, is a promise. So what should we concern ourselves? Well, you see the seed analogy. It's not just an analogy about death. The seed analogy through Scripture is is an illustration about life. To understand creation and how a seed works helps us understand, as John is pointing his gospel, he goes back to that we should be a people that bear fruit. John 12, 24, remember what it says? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I would challenge you today while you're at home, even after this sermon, go on your phones and Google the germination of a seed. You can go to images, pull up Google, put images, the germination of a seed. It'll pop an image there for you. And here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a seed being in the ground. You're going to see it begin to be transformed as a little sprout pops out. And that sprout does not go up. Where does that sprout go? It goes down. It comes up and it goes down. The roots grow first. And as it gets the nutrients that it needs, it comes up. It sprouts out of the ground. It produces a plant or a tree that bears fruit. That's what it was designed to do. By its creator. And so are you. We are not designed to be seeds. We are not designed to be like that fig tree without fruit. We are designed to bear fruit. 
Listen to 1 John 3 today. Verse 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. The logical conclusion of that is verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. So I just want us to close today with a passage of Scripture. You can turn to it if you would like. I'm going to read from a different translation from the ESV. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. As I read that last night, this was the question I asked myself. And I want, you to, I want us to leave today with this question. Brothers and sisters, it matters not whether we get the coronavirus or not. Inside of 50 or 60 years, most of us will be with Jesus. He will will come to us or we will go to Him. It matters not. We will see Him. And here's the question that Peter asked us. How do you want to be found? How do you want to be found today? If God says today is the day, the day is today. If He says it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. If it's 50 years from now, then that's what it's going to be. The question is, How do we want to be found? And so let us close with God's word today. 2 Peter in chapter 3 and verse 14 says this. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight and at peace. We pray today, brothers and sisters. The cause of the person and the work and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you are at peace with your God. And that you are making every effort to be like Christ. To be found in Him. At peace. And in love with your Maker and your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, now we have heard your word and we have received your promises that we... Do not have to be anxious about those that have preceded us in death. For you have given us a promise. That they will be raised when you come. And we will join them. And we will all be transformed into a body that is fit for a life lived in your presence. And I pray that you would comfort your people with that absolute truth today. Because though as we think about the week of passion that the death of Christ is coming, yet we know the resurrection is a fact. And we will be like our Jesus. We will go to where He goes. And He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so Lord, today we rejoice as Your people. We miss each other, Lord. Preaching and by and large a fairly empty room today. And we long to be together. And so Lord I remember a time. When you told your disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. 
I'm going to come back and take you to where I am. Long we long, Lord, we long for that day. And so, Lord, we know that one day you will deliver us from this pestilence and bring us back together again. And we also know there is a day when our suffering will end. When the limitations of this body will end. When we will have a body that is no more characterized by sin and selfishness. But it's fit for glory. And God, that you would do something with us now. As we are stuck in our homes, God. Do something in us. Oh, God. We do not want to be found to be a church without fruit. We want to be found in you, full of life and fruit. And so, God, do that in us today. As you in your power cause a seed to be turned into a mighty oak. Do that with your church, God. You promised you would. And so we trust you. And so now, Lord, we in our dens and our living rooms and our kitchens and wherever we find ourselves now, Lord, we, tr- we choose to put our trust in you and your promises and we will open our mouths now and we will worship the risen King our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask this. Our Father, we ask this. Receive our worship today. as a pleasing aroma to You, Lord. Receive our life tomorrow. It's a sacrifice of praise to You. May, Lord, we never be the same because of that which we experience in the next few weeks. Bid us for glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.